0: Welcome to the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Dr. Lucy Petlak, editor of Lucy's Morsels, which makes sustainable living stylish and more doable for everybody. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you. Lucy, I'm very excited to talk to you today because we have on our podcast entrepreneurs, who are working in food, for example, and I hope to have a few entrepreneurs working in sustainable fashion later on this year. And I really want them to listen to you because you talk to consumers every day. But first of all, a very happy Lunar New Year. And we are, of course, at the beginning of the new year in the Western Hemisphere as well. So what would your advice be to our audience to have a more sustainable lifestyle this year?
1: I often get asked what people can do. What's the first step to take? And I always suggest two things. And the first is just to slow down on all of the new products that we're buying. We live very much in a time when bigger, better, more is defining our shopping. When really it's it's a good time to think about what you have, what you already have, And make better decisions about what you're buying, because we will all constantly be bringing new things into our lives. The second thing is that I'm really focused on food waste this year, and I'm not on the extreme of zero food waste, where I'm encouraging everybody to eat corn cobs or anything of that nature, at least in the United States. But I think that this is a bigger phenomenon. So many of us bring food into our homes, whether it's produce or leftovers, having gone out to a restaurant, and we just don't get around to eating it before it's gone bad. And that's kind of the area in which I really want to focus and help people to understand that there is knowledge out there about how to better store lettuce that comes in or different ways of using up tidbits of food that we can sort of incorporate into it. So part of my year is not only learning to do that more, but also acknowledging what I already do so that I can try to share that with people because every instance is going to be different, but if we can make it more relatable, then I think we'll have more success.
0: Thank, Thank you. you. The comment that you made about food waste really resonates with me. I mean, you know that I have worked in Asia and Africa, even in these societies, as their societies have become more prosperous and urban, the amount of food waste that happens at the household level, that it happens at what I mean at the table, uh, is, is quite large, actually, and, and increasing quite rapidly. Um, and that really is a consumer habit. But also, uh, in many of these countries, food waste happens in the farm. Game. There is a lot of wastage of food grains, especially fresh fruits and vegetables, before they're brought into the market. And some of that really technology can solve. And you know we try to showcase some of those entrepreneurs on our podcast. But I wanted to step back a little bit. You've been blogging for about 10 years, but that you started blogging about sustainability only in 2019 when you had your child. Is there a message there that as a mother, you felt that you must really do something to build a better world for your children?
1: Yes, but not entirely. So at the end of 2019, we moved from Los Angeles back up to Northern California, where my husband and I are both from, because we bought a new home and because we had a child. I was able to take all of these practices and these ideas that had just sort of been floating around my life. In California, if you're under the age of 40 or even under the age of 60, you grew up with the knowledge of recycling and you grew up with the understanding of environmental impact to some degree or another. So having been born and raised in California, I always grew up with that as sort of a subconscious thought process. And Because we had our home and because I had my son, I finally was in a space where I really brought that up to the front of my thinking. I started researching cloth diapering and I started researching how to save money on heat and cool because we finally had a house in a place where I really had to pay attention to these things. It was just sort of the accumulation of all of this research that I was doing of of little insignificant things that just brought it to the forefront. And as I mentioned earlier, having had a very young child at this point, I didn't have a lot of mental capacity. The little bit I had was focused on sustainable living. I really needed to get back into blogging and creating more content. And I think because it was successful with my readers, my readers really ate up, Hey, we're going to talk about a cute outfit, but with a sustainable twist or Hey, we're going to talk about seasonal eating. It just sort of propelled me to go further and further down I don't want to say this rabbit hole because it makes it sound like a very small discussion and sustainability is probably the biggest discussion or one of the biggest discussions going on in our world right now. And it just kept getting bigger. And I kept finding questions that I was answering myself. And I love that the conversation isn't singular. You can have a conversation about sustainability, whether it's fashion or food or travel or kids or business or foodways, you know, it, sustainability fits into every single conversation And so it kind of just keeps snowballing into a bigger and bigger discussion.
0: And I don't use the word rabbit hole as as well. Uh, I would rather use the word, uh, you know, wide world, the wide world of sustainability. And you're, you're right, you know, sustainability feeds into everything that you have talked about, food, home decor, gifting, and of course, fashion. I wanted to deep dive into a few of these areas. I'll start with sustainable fashion. What is sustainable fashion? And how can stylish people also become more sustainable?
1: I think that has a huge presumption that I'm stylish and I certainly have um, some moments that are better than others. You know, interestingly, I don't feel as though my style or my fashion has changed at all since I became much more interested in sustainability. I have long been a person that is willing to pay a little more for something that is better made and that will last season after season. I always joke that it really takes me a long time to figure out how to wear things. And then once I get it, ooh. I'm good at wearing that thing, whether it's a jacket or jeans or shoes or whatever. And so I've just never been a person that's constantly buying and replacing things in my closet. When it comes to people who I think are more stylish than me or are more concerned about being stylish than I am, I don't think you have to give up your style in any way. I like to encourage people to just hold on to and rewear the things that they already have, regardless of whether it's you know, it costs them $5 or it costs them 500 us dollars for what we have right now. And kind of moving into this more sustainable living and more sustainable fashion. I just like to encourage people to wear what they have more. So that's not saying you know, I still buy new clothes. Absolutely. And I still love going shopping, but I, I find that I'm not window shopping. I'm not mindlessly going through racks. I know what's in my closet. I know what kind of holes I have and what things I'd like to buy. And because I'm not spending money on, less expensive or fast fashion, as it were, I'm able to spend money on clothing that comes from a brand that has sourced their materials better or who and or who pays their employees better or who treats their employees better or, you know, and and so you can kind of start to make the shift of my style hasn't changed, but the decisions of what I buy and how I wear it or how often I wear it or how long I wear it, that's what begins to change. And so it, it can feel very comfortable, even though I think every piece that you keep in your closet rather than just replacing quickly or adding to really does make a big difference.
0: You know, I really think that's a great message and I'll put it in my own words. Buy less so you have the money to spend on a brand which has a less environmental footprint and a much better social record of, of helping diverse. And that's the way I'll define it. Is that a decent summary of your message?
1: Absolutely. Fantastic.
0: And what about food? You started by saying that one of the focus things that you want to do this year is to help people reduce food waste. You know, maybe you want to elaborate on this a little bit.
1: Absolutely. I think one of the biggest struggles that I have found in joining any community that's concerned about sustainable living is the just the animosity and the tenacity that comes with people thinking that you can only be sustainable if you eat and live a certain way. And this obviously goes beyond food. I had a guilt trip about it because as you start to make any big changes, but especially as you start to live more sustainably with not being perfect, in my case, being plant-based just doesn't work for our family. My husband has to follow a very strict diet. And unfortunately that just doesn't work with being plant-based. Do I throw everything out the window? No, obviously not. And so my tact has been, let's focus on seasonal eating more local produce at the very least, if not produce and meat. Um, and then avoiding food waste. And these are also things that don't cost money. A lot of people think, well, if you're going to live sustainably, that's, that's for rich people or that's expensive. And the truth is that quite the opposite. If you're going to live sustainably, you should be saving money left and right because you aren't buying new things. So that's been my approach to the food aspect of sustainability and that it's not a black and white thing. Do the best that you can. You know, in, in the United States, buying organic food is a bit more expensive than buying food that's not identified or certified as organic. Am I saying that if you buy some food that's not organic, that's not okay? Absolutely not. Like we have to pay attention to what our our budget can afford, but if you can start to make some switches when and where is possible to organic or to local or to free range or you know whatever that makes sense for what you're buying, you are actually making very very big decisions. Not only in my humble opinion, do I think you're putting better things into your body, but you're also telling stores and you're telling farmers that these things are important to you and that they're worthwhile. And so they're not throwing away a bunch of organic produce because it wasn't bought, but instead they're seeing, oh, this is getting more and more popular. We're going to have to start bringing in more and it's sort of a, a direction that we're coming to in the future. So I encourage people not necessarily to change how they eat or what they eat, I guess, but more change what's going into what they eat. I don't know if that's a clear way of saying it, but I can't think of a better way to get that across.
0: No, I think this is a very good message. And the reason I relate to it, because on our podcast, we've actually had, so far, had two entrepreneurs, but we'll have a few more later this year, talking about alternate protein, plant-based meat, and so on and so forth. And we must acknowledge that those technology-led products are important, but customers or consumers, people like you and me, can do, depending on the budget they have, the situation they are in, and so on and so forth. They have a range of options. And some of those options are fairly simpler things like, you know, buying local, buying fresh produce, buying seasonal fruits and vegetables. And of course, just being conscious about food waste. That's kind of my takeaway from what you're saying. You know, I would go over to one article of yours, which I found really interesting, which is about sustainable alcohol. What is your message for sustainable sipping?
1: Fascinatingly, I started talking about produce and buying seasonally and buying local and all of this stuff. And my first realization with this actually wasn't with alcohol, but it was with flowers. I'd always bought just the least expensive small bouquet of flowers at the grocery store, flown in from completely different part of the world. And then I befriended a local flower farmer and she started to educate me about what went into this. And We're so focused on buying organic and buying local in terms of the produce that we put into our body, but that also relates to flowers and it relates to coffee and it relates to alcohol because all three of those are agricultural goods. And so this was just sort of a mind opening experience for me because I realized that I got so focused on what I needed to buy, but I wasn't applying that to everything that it was applicable to. So at first it was flowers and then I started to you know, eye those that cheap bouquet of flowers at the market, but I wouldn't buy it. And then I started to look more and more into local farmers because they aren't flown in. They aren't using pesticides on these flowers that, so it started with the flowers. And then I got into researching a little bit more about alcohol and does sustainable alcohol exist? Is that a thing? It very much is a thing. And it's a thing because alcohol is made from grains. It's made from potatoes, made from sugar cane, all these different things. And it was One, interesting to realize that I should have been paying attention to this. And two, learning what various alcohol producers and distilleries are doing sustainably is fascinating. It's terribly makes you want to have every kind of cocktail. If you start doing your research, I won't lie to you about that either. But it's an art that goes into making these sustainable alcohol.
0: I really like what you are saying, which is that for flowers, coffee, alcohol, which are really globally available products. Cheaper may not be better in terms of uh, sustainable, but cheaper could well be better in terms of supporting the local economy that you are working in. Do you also agree with what I'm taking away?
1: Yes, although I would tell you that buying local flowers, at least here in Northern California, is absolutely not the least expensive option. (laughs) And you know, that's, then we get back to making choices. And I feel like this is one of the harder things about making the switch to a sustainable lifestyle is making the choice of what your money means. And so I may buy the $3 bouquet of flowers, but then I just stare at it, you know, mad about it. But if I get the local flowers and they spent more, I spent more on them. I get so much enjoyment out of it, knowing that they came locally. I can go to those farms or knowing that I supported a local family who's doing these bouquets and different stuff like that. So it may not necessarily be cheaper, but there's a lot more enjoyment that comes out of it. And in reality, if something doesn't have to be flown so far, it's going to last longer. But then, of course, the pesticide conversation makes that difference. So nothing's ever straightforward, is it?
0: Nothing is ever straightforward. Absolutely right. But I couldn't have really heard a better summary than what you just let slip right now, which is that being sustainable is allowing yourself to make a choice of where you spend your money. Let's take a step back. You've been a student of history. In fact, you have a PhD in history. Are there any lessons from history on you know, the large-scale transitions in consumer behavior that we will probably see and we should see in this decade?
1: Oh, this was not the kind of history I did. Uh, I did social and cultural history, and I did it in the middle of the 19th century in the United States. Interestingly, when you talk about sustainability and the change in consumerism, what's fascinating to me is that most of the change that we talk about when we talk about how our societies and how our world has become less sustainable has actually happened in the last 50 years, which full disclosure was a part of history. I never wanted to delve into because I didn't think it was quite history yet, but it's fascinating that We are trying to return to aspects of a lifestyle that were absolutely the norm just 50 years ago. And then for centuries and millennia before, in many ways, I always like to talk about cloth diapering. Our parents were kind of on the cusp of switching from cloth diapering to the disposable ring. And they thought it was so fantastic because cloth diapers are work. I totally get that. Now, one of the wonderful things, if if you do begin cloth diapering, is that there have been so many advancements made that it's not nearly so complicated as it used to be. It's not a disposable diaper necessarily, but it's much more simpler. And so understanding so many things that have happened that have made us not very sustainable have happened post, well, really post-World War II. So that'd be anytime after the the mid-1940s, but really in the last 50 or 60 years. I mean, that is shocking really to see that. So- We'll see if and how quickly we're able to kind of turn things back a little bit.
0: But you did say that um, people who were, in let's say grew up in California in their 40s and 60s, to them recycling was a part of life, right? So in some ways we we need to pick up some of the habits that we already have.
1: Yeah. And that's another thing. It's. I feel like every book I've read on sustainable living will always say, we're going to go back to what our grandma did. Remember watching your grandparent when you were young, we're going to go back to those good old days, kind of that sort of mentality. And so a lot of sustainable living and sustainable practices become sort of synonymous with quote, a simpler time and an easier time, which that's complete, I guess as well. And, and going back to me being a historian, there have always been times where there are reform movements. And the big message is, let's go back to when it was great. Well, it never was great. You idealize the times that were in the past. So it's kind of interesting to me that the sustainable movement is saying, let's go back to those simpler times, those easier times, those happier times. There were struggles then, just like there are struggles now. But it's that same sort of mentality of going back to a happier time.
0: And I'm glad you said it because, you know, the sort of conversation here in many parts of the emerging world is very, very similar. Let's go back to happier times. You know, there were no really ideal times. So we really have to chart out a future for ourselves. Which brings me to this issue, you know, that we are also living in a globalized world, right? And one of the things is that the transition has to be fair and just for everybody in this world. So if your message to American consumers is that, you know, buy less, buy less clothes, it's also possible that women workers in Bangladesh will be thrown out of a job. You know, how does the world manage this transition?
1: If I go back a second and I say, "Okay, I'm going to buy fewer new pieces of clothing, but the new pieces of clothing that I buy are going to be made of responsibly sourced materials and they're going to be made in work settings that are appropriately paid and fair trade working conditions, then I would like to think that the people who are making clothes or making products are not going to lose jobs but that it actually is going to be a better situation for all as an individual, as a consumer, I, I feel, and I think that my following would agree that we as individuals can only do so much. So the biggest decision and the biggest impact that I can make is tell you or show you where I'm going to spend my dollars. And so instead of buying whatever bargain is or whatever the cutest thing is, I'm going to try and buy from the company that responsibly sources materials that has their items made, you know, maybe across the world, but in a factory that's been audited and has fair trade standards. And, and this is the part where I'm, I'm hoping that I don't come across as ignorant. Most of the things that I bought, I've had a lot of intention. I've done some research. So this is my transition. I really like the
0: message that you said, and then take it a little forward. If I buy less, I have a better choice of where I spend my money on. And I could spend money on a more sustainable piece of clothing, uh, which has a less environmental footprint, uh, better materials, and of course, you know, is made by workers working in better conditions. To me, you know what, the interesting thing is that I've worked extensively in Bangladesh in the garment industry. And to me, I think what I find most exciting, and I, I really, this is my vision in the next 20 years that will happen, that consumers in California or in Paris or in London, wherever it is, will be able to, using blockchain technology, be able to understand where the cotton was sourced from, where the material was stitched. In fact, get down to the person, understanding who is the lady who's, you know who put my trousers together. And you could then use your dollars really effectively to target money back to the real producers. I think that's really possible using the uh, you know, distributed ledger and the blockchain technology that is coming through. I think it is a challenge of fashion entrepreneurs to make that offering available to What do you think?
1: Yes. In the United States and Canada, at the very least, there's a not-for-profit company, I guess, called B Corp or B Lab. And I don't know how extensively they are. But what they have done is basically they have a grading system for for profit companies. And they have five pillars that they grade each company on. And in order to be you know certified as a B Corp, you have to get at least a certain grade. So it doesn't matter which of those five you do well in or maybe not as well. And just as a whole, if you get at least this lowest grade, Uh, that's another component that I'm really hoping to focus on this year in terms of content for my followers is saying making decisions doesn't have to be complicated and isolating because there are other companies out there who are helping to make this an easier process. So I don't need to try and figure out where every single stitch in a sweater came from if I know that I'm buying from a company that has been certified you know, elsewhere as doing good whether they're doing good for the community that they're based in, they're doing good for their employees, they're doing by the environment. The company is trying to do better and is trying to improve every time they get certified to improve their scoring. So I'm slowly learning about more and more platforms, more and more companies, there certifications out there that are making it a lot easier. And so that it's not writing a dissertation trying to figure out a pair of jeans to buy.
0: (laughs) And obviously, we can't uh, write a thesis to decide a pair of jeans that we must buy. Uh, B-Corp is a good standard, but in the textile industry, there are multiple standards. For example, on the environmental uh, side, there is standards like use of chemical standards, zero liquid discharge. On the social side, there are multiple standards. The trick, Lucy, is is the issue. Here of the way the industry is structured. So you have the large brands in the US and Europe, obviously. They work with smaller factories in Bangladesh and Vietnam and sometimes in Ethiopia as well. Many of these smaller factories, obviously, when I say smaller, they are not as big as a brand. They're large companies in the context of Bangladesh or Vietnam, maybe 5,000 employees, maybe decent turnover and so on and so forth. The issue, I think, is where it becomes is that investments in making uh, sustainable clothes are not necessarily going to be made by the brand. And the brand has the responsibility in some way of being able to pay more for procuring the piece of jeans, the T-shirt or whatever have you, if the customer in the United States is willing to pay an additional amount. And I think that's where the transparency really has to come. That is, if the factory is going to make an investment in making better working conditions and better environmental conditions, then it might incur a certain additional cost. The brand has to pay that additional cost, which then the consumer is willing to signal. And I think that transparency is still lacking. And I really hope that this year you'll be able to take a deep dive into this. Zooming away from the sustainable fashion industry, we will have on our podcast entrepreneurs we are working in these Alternative food, sustainable fashion are the ones that I've already mentioned. What would be your advice to these business founders given the fact that you have your sort of pulse on the consumer side?
1: I feel as though there are kind of two things to say. And one of them is, you know, I mentioned earlier as an individual, I only feel like I can do so much. And that is me sending my dollars. Now, are, are me and, and just my dollars going to change the world? No. As business owners or sort of big picture people, I think we forget very easily how much people are trying to do each day. And so I want to kind of remind everybody of what that all is, because I think when I talk to some business owners, they're doing phenomenal things, such fascinating things. And you're faced with cost restrictions, transportation difficulties, um, and all of this. And it's difficult to understand why consumers don't get it, why we're not willing to pay more for that. And I think it's easy to forget about the humanity aspect of the people that you're asking to spend their dollars on your product. It's okay that maybe we don't all know all of the fantasticness that's going in there. And also I would say, try to bridge a gap maybe between the simple things of sustainable living and those terribly fantastic things that only you all know how to do in your industry. You're helping to bridge the gap between me trying to encourage people to stop letting lettuce go bad in the refrigerator and whatever it is in your industry. And I, it varies so much from industry to industry, so much from business to business, and honestly, so much from year to year.
0: Right. But what I really liked is one thing that you said about trying to connect the ordinary things that people are doing every day with the amazing things that the businesses are trying to do. And you know, there's a bit of a gap there, and, and you know, that really has to connect. But uh, on that, I have actually my last question, which is that your readers have warmed up to the type of content that you are putting out. Are you seeing tipping point as a call in consumer behavior?
1: Yes and no. When I first read this question, once you sent it last week, I think it was, I was leaving Las Vegas for a conference with my mom, Um, And then hilariously enough, randomly, some company that I follow on Instagram shared something the next day that, that talked about all of the amazing sustainable things that the city of Las Vegas is doing. So they're taking like gray water and they're using it to water plants. um, And then they're sending it back to Lake Mead and all of electricity used in the city is actually from solar power because they're in the middle of the desert. And it, it was just this whole list, like they decreased their, their trash. And I think this kind of ties back into the question before of, I will do what I can on the individual level, because it's me talking to individuals. So all of the other entrepreneurs that you have on this podcast, go do your big picture things and be amazing. And together, hopefully we can kind of all sort of figure that out on my small scale of what I'm doing for sustainable living. I am very hopeful at the prospect that I can tell people want to change. They want to learn. They, they want to change the world. They don't understand what changes they can make to make that happen. And so I wish I had a bigger audience. I wish I had more people engaged, you know, on the other side, if I step back, which is really hard, I may not have the whole world listening to what I'm saying, but I do periodically hear about what people are doing. Uh, They're taking my message and they're changing it. So actually even my husband, and and I will tell you that my husband is the person who got me more interested in uh, environmentalism when we got together 12 years ago. And then I went on this sustainable living kick in 2019 and he'd come home from work and I'm like, okay, so I threw away the sponges. I didn't, you know, and I'm like, we need to use this sponge now. And he would just sort of stare at me and be like, oh man, okay. You know, supportive because clearly I was just trying to get to the end of the day. And in the last few months, he has devoted all of his extra energy to bringing sustainable design into his architecture firm. He's done all of this research. He's done these presentations. He's learned about new tools and he's doing surveys in his office. And he and I are trying to interpret them to pass them on. And now I feel like small piece compared to what I think that he is doing because he's listening to my messaging and he's making it work for him and his professional life. I don't have an office of 40 people to talk to. I have me and whoever comes by to listen on my blog or on Instagram. And so I can see how it's changing. I think we need to be smart about how we talk about it though, because we don't want to create resistance. We want to make this a natural thing because at the core of it, it is a natural thing to sort of go back to these ways that we know were, and to go back to honestly, simpler times. I never feel like I don't have anything to wear because my closet's a little bit smaller than it used to be. So life's not simple. I can tell you that. But it is very interesting understanding that my conversation is making other conversations happen. And I'll never know probably 90% of them
0: that go on. I think, you know, that's a very empowering and apt way to end the podcast to say that, you know, we must do what we have to do. And then our message Will change other people, and they will, in turn will change other people, and that's where the momentum will really build up. With that, thank you very much, Lucy. Thank you, this is wonderful.